I was on my second date with this girl that I really liked. We were both going to school in downtown Chicago, and we quickly became friends over our love for basketball and our annoyance with my roommate, who was trying to set us up. Our very first interaction was actually playing a game of pickup basketball on the gym on campus. The very first time we interacted was when I blocked her shot. I felt so bad that afterwards I apologized to her. I introduced myself, and we became friends. We started going on dates around Chicago, and on our second date, we were going to go to a little bakery in Greektown. We took the L train out there, and we found the bakery. We both got pastries and water, because I was a poor college kid who wanted to go on dates without spending a lot of money. And then we made small talk, we enjoyed the date, and we started going back to school. We were waiting at the train station for our train to come. The girl to my left and to my right, a homeless man sitting with his back against the wall. Out of nowhere, these two high school kids came up and started kicking him and beating him up. There I was on a date with a girl to my left and a fight breaking out to my right. Without thinking, I quickly jumped in the middle of the fight and got between the homeless man and the two high school kids. And I must have looked pretty intimidating uh, because the high school kids looked annoyed and just kind of walked away. The homeless man thanked me and then he said this. He said, man, they were lucky I didn't have my knife. It was in that moment that I realized the severity and the stupidity of what I had just done. I had just broken up a fight in downtown Chicago. I looked back at my date and she was in complete shock. I walked back over to her and tried to play it off like, no big deal, it's what I do. But my heart was racing and the adrenaline was coursing through my body. The train came and we sat in silence, mostly on the way back to school. The girl became my wife, because that'd be a disappointing ending if I was just like, and then she dumped me. Uh, No, it's Emily. We've been married for five years now. And I think that she married me because of my heroic and stupid actions on our second date. But you know what I remember about that date? I remember the girl, the bakery, and the fight. That's it. You know what Emily remembers about that date? Literally everything. I asked for her version of the story, and she remembered what I was wearing, what she was wearing, what the homeless guy was wearing, the name of the bakery, the name of the train stop, the fact that we got lost on the way to the bakery. I don't remember that. She remembered everything about that date. And the reason she remembered it all is because it was all important to her. The truth of the matter is that we remember what's important to us. This morning, we're going to look at a psalm that urges us to remember what's truly important. All summer, we've been going through the book of Psalms and seeing the wide range of emotions that are captured in this incredible book. This morning, we're looking at Psalm 103. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalm 103. This week is a psalm of praise or a psalm of thanksgiving written by David. And I love this psalm because it contains the good news of the gospel over and over again. John Piper calls it the most densely packed gospel psalm in the entire book. And the gospel is always good news. No matter what you're coming into church thinking about or worried about or going through right now, this psalm meets you there and it points you to the gospel. If you're coming in and things are going well for you and you're thankful for what God's doing in your life, this psalm meets you there and it points you to the gospel in praise. If you're coming into church this morning and things aren't going well, and you come in with a heavy heart or a weary soul, this psalm meets you there and it points you to the gospel in remembrance. If you're coming into church this morning with no understanding of who God is or what Christianity is all about, this psalm meets you there 
and it points you to the truth of the gospel. We see in this psalm three movements of praise. David starts with personal praise by encouraging himself to praise God for all that he's done for him. He then moves to corporate praise as he encourages the people of Israel to praise God for who he is and for all that he's done for them as a people. Finally, David finishes with universal praise as he encourages all of the angels and all of creation to praise God. David's praise expands the more and more he thinks about God. And so my prayer this morning is that no matter where you're at or what you're coming into church thinking about, that God would expand your praise of him and your thankfulness for the gospel. That as you remember the goodness of God and the beauty of the gospel, you would be motivated to praise. Follow along with me as I read Psalm 103, starting in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This psalm starts and ends with this phrase, Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is a literary device known as inclusio, or bracketing, where an author begins and ends a section with the same word or phrase. It shows the reader that there's a significant theme, and everything related to the beginning bracket and the end bracket point to the same idea. And so in this psalm, we see this theme of blessing God. In the Bible, when the word bless is used like this, it's the author praising God and ascribing characteristics to him. Your translation may have verse 1 as, praise the Lord. So David starts by blessing or praising God in verse 1. And what does he want to bless God with? His soul, with all that is within him. The Hebrew term for soul refers to a man's inner nature as well as his entire personality. It's everything that makes a person who he is. And so David is reminding himself, he's encouraging himself to praise God with everything that he is. As believers, this should be our desire as well. Anytime we worship God, whether it's on a Sunday morning in church or throughout the week as we're praying and reading our Bible, our desire should be to do it with every part of ourselves. In the New Testament, we see some of Jesus' sharpest rebukes were against the religious leaders of the day who honored God with their lips, but not with their lives. In Matthew fifteen seven, Jesus says to the Pharisees and the scribes, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. David says, I want to praise God. I want to bless God with every part of me, with my entire soul. I want to honor God. He then moves into his three circles of expanding praise, beginning with personal praise. Look at verse two. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David is talking to himself, to his soul, reminding himself to, to remember God, to praise God, and to forget not his benefits. So how does David forget not the benefits of the Lord? By reminding himself of them over and over again. The next few verses are David reminding himself of all the good things that God has done for him personally. Look at verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. David has been forgiven 
He's been redeemed. He's been satisfied. He's been renewed. And this isn't new information that David is learning for the first time. It's information that he knows and has experienced. And it's him reminding himself of it over and over again. So if God has done so much for David, if God has done so much for us, why do we so often forget the benefits of the Lord? I think there are three reasons that we forget the benefits of the Lord. First, because we underestimate the gospel. Second, because we overestimate ourselves. And third, because we don't remind ourselves of the gospel. First, we underestimate the gospel. Do you understand and appreciate the fullness of the gospel? Look at verse 3. He forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases. This verse is often taken out of context uh, and used as a proof text to say that God will heal you of anything. He'll heal all your diseases. But what it's really saying is that he forgives all your iniquity. And then the next line is a parallel to the same concept. Forgiving and healing are the same idea. And iniquity and diseases are the same idea. David is saying, God forgives all my iniquity. He's just saying it in different ways. David understood his own sinfulness. We see in Psalm 51, he says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. David understood that he needed a Savior to forgive him. And so in verse 3, we see the first glimpse of the gospel in this passage. God is able to forgive David's sin, able to forgive our sin because of the gospel. He doesn't just ignore sin or brush it off like it's not a big deal. God is able to forgive sin because he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross and bear the weight of our sin. Isaiah 53, 6 says that we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We've all gone astray, we've all sinned, and we deserve a punishment for that sin. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. The punishment that we deserve for our sins is death. But God in his love took my sin and your sin and David's sin and he put it on Jesus on the cross. Jesus died a brutal death that you and I deserved so that we can be in a relationship with him. But he didn't stay dead. He conquered death and he rose again, conquering sin and death and allowing us to enter into a restored relationship with God. David praises God because he remembers that his sins have been forgiven. He doesn't underestimate the benefit of being forgiven. How much more should we praise God because we understand and appreciate the fullness of the gospel in a way that David never could? I work in camp ministry at Hidden Acres, and every summer we have our counselors share their testimonies or their story of how they came to faith in Christ. And every summer we have counselors who underestimate their own story because they underestimate the power of the gospel. Maybe you can relate to this. They grew up in a Christian home, and so they came to faith at a really young age, and they think their story is boring or uninteresting. And I remind them, and I'll remind you, that the story of you coming to faith in Christ is not boring. It's incredible because the gospel is incredible. God has brought you from spiritual death into spiritual life. He's brought you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's forgiven all your sins, and he's restored you into relationship with the God of the universe. God has redeemed your life. He's crowned you with love and mercy. And whether you were five 
or 55 or 95 when you accepted that truth for the first time, the story of the gospel and the story of God saving you is worth remembering. Don't underestimate the power of the gospel. David reminds himself of what God has done for him personally, and he praises God for it. He then turns to corporate praise as he praises God for who he is and for what he's done for his people. Look at verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. David praises God for being righteous and just, specifically to those who are oppressed. Verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. God revealed his character and his love toward the people of Israel. He delivered them from slavery. He loved them when they rebelled. He protected them in the wilderness, and he brought them into the land that he promised. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This verse is actually referencing one of the times in Exodus when God made himself known to Moses. God has delivered the people of uh, Israel from Egypt. He's delivered them from slavery, and he's brought them into the wilderness. And Moses is meeting with God on Mount Sinai, and he's getting the Ten Commandments. And while that's going on, the people are down below, and they have no idea what's happened to Moses. And so they get restless, and they want something to worship. So they come to Aaron, who's Moses' brother, and they ask him to make a golden calf, to make an idol for them to worship. And so he takes all their gold and he creates this calf for them to worship. And they start dancing and singing and saying, these are the gods who brought us out of Egypt. And as they're worshiping this idol, Moses is meeting with God and God tells him what's going on. And so he tells him to go down and Moses sees what's happening and he throws down the tablets and he's furious. He takes the calf and he, he burns it and he grinds it up and he forces the Israelites to drink it. And so he turns to, Mo, to Aaron and he says, what happened? And Aaron responds by saying, don't get mad. It's their fault. They wanted a God and so I took their gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Moses has to make new tablets for the commandments and go back up to meet with God. But before he goes up to meet with God, he says, God, show me your glory. Let me see you. And so God says, Moses, you can stand in this hole on the side of the mountain, and I'll come and I'll pass by you, but I'll cover you with my hand because you can't look at my face. It's too glorious. So Moses makes these new tablets, and he goes back up to the mountain to meet with God and to see his glory. Exodus 34, 6 says this, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. As the Israelites are in the wilderness, immediately after they've created an idol to worship, God meets with Moses and he makes his way known to him. He says, I am merciful and gracious. I'm slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. 
David here is referring to this moment and reminding his people about the character of God. He's a God who's merciful and gracious. He's a God who abounds in steadfast love. Verse 9, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's the gospel. God doesn't repay us according to our sins. We deserve punishment for our sins, but the gospel gives us life. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. God's love is higher than the heavens. He takes our sin and he removes it as far as the east is from the west. Micah 7.19 says that God casts our sin into the depths of the sea. Isaiah 1.18 says that though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Isaiah 43 says that God will blot out our transgressions. Romans 8.1 says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The steadfast love of the Lord removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He takes our sin and he throws it into the depths of the sea. He blots out our transgressions. He remembers not our sin. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the gospel. God's love and forgiveness are worthy of our praise. Verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Why is God so compassionate towards us? Because he loves us and he knows where we came from. Verse 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God knows and understands how frail human life is. He knows that we are created from dust because he created us. Verse 15, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. God knows and understands how fleeting human life is. Like grass that grows up and dies, like a flower that comes up from the ground and is blown away, our lives are here, and then they're gone. I've been to two funerals in the past few months. Uh, one for my 22-year-old cousin, and one for a 59-year-old friend. And as I reflect on both of them, I'm struck by how short our lives are in comparison to eternity. Whether it was 22 years or 59 years, when we go to a funeral, we wish that their lives would have lasted longer, that we would have had more time with them, because our lives are like grass that grow and then die, like a flower in the field that is blown away. And the truth of this psalm is that our days are short, that our lives here on earth are short in comparison to eternity. And whether our last day on earth is today or 50 years from now, our life on earth is nothing compared to eternity. David reminds us in this section of the nature of man, which leads me to the second reason that we forget the gospel, because we overestimate ourselves. We forget that our lives are like grass, like flowers that are here and then gone. We forget the gospel, the benefits of the Lord, because we're so focused on our lives and the benefits that we try to create for ourselves in our short time here on earth. We forget the gospel because we're content with the jobs that we have, the money that we can earn, the things that we can buy. 
We forget the gospel because we're so focused on what we deserve and what we think we can earn during our lives. We forget that God is the one who gives us life, who gives us breath, who gives us the ability to do our jobs. And everything that we receive through our jobs or our education is a gift from God. And we forget the benefits of the Lord. We see a warning against this in Deuteronomy 8. Moses is speaking to the people while they're still in the wilderness. So after they've been freed from slavery, but before they go into the promised land. In Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 11, it says this. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Moses starts by saying, take care lest you forget. Forget not when you've eaten and are full when things are going well for you, when you have good houses and money, don't forget what God has done for you. Don't think that it's your power and your might that have gotten you anything. Remember the Lord. Don't forget that it was God who brought you out of slavery. It was God who led you through the wilderness. It was God who fed you and gave you water. Don't get so comfortable in your life and forget that. Don't be so satisfied with yourself. Don't overestimate your own abilities that you forget the gospel. God brought the Israelites out of slavery, and he's brought us out of spiritual slavery. Don't forget the gospel. Can I admit to you this morning that that I often overestimate my own skills and my own abilities, and I forget the benefits of the Lord. I've worked at Hidden Acres for four summers now, And every summer, we've seen incredible growth in the number of campers that we have coming to camp and the number of campers who make decisions for Christ at camp. And the tendency of my heart is to look at that and be satisfied with what I'm doing, the work that I'm putting in, the changes that I'm making, the education and experiences that I bring to the ministry. And it's easy for me to forget the benefits of the Lord because I get so focused on myself. I forget that God is the one who saved me, that God is the one who sustains me, that God is the one who's working in our ministry and in our campers' lives. I know that it's not my skill or my intellect that's making a difference in campers' lives. I know that it's totally God, but my sinful heart and my pride want to take credit for what God is doing. And whether you work in ministry or not, the truth is we often want to take credit when things are going well, and we forget the benefits of the Lord. Moses warns us in Deuteronomy, and David reminds us, don't forget the benefits of the Lord. Don't overestimate yourself or your life. It's like grass. It's like the flowers. Don't forget the gospel. Verse 17, 
The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. David here shows the vast contrast between the nature of man's life and the steadfast eternal nature of God's love. From everlasting to everlasting, from the beginning of time to the end, God's love endures. His righteousness will last forever. David reminds the Israelites of the character and the actions of God, and he encourages them in light of their frail and fleeting lives to praise a God who is worthy. The final section of this psalm is a call to universal praise. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. David started this psalm with individual praise, praising God for who he is and what he's done for him personally. He then moved to corporate praise as he praised God for who he is and what he's done for the people of Israel. He then finishes this chapter with a call for universal praise. You can feel the praise just welling up inside of him, and it gets grander and grander the more he thinks about God. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. David starts thinking about God's throne in heaven, how he's sovereignly ruling over everything, and he starts commanding angels to worship. Bless the Lord, O you his angels. Bless the Lord, all his hosts. But that's not enough for David, so he tells all of creation to bless God. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. And then he concludes the same way that he started. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The final reason that we forget the gospel is because we don't remind ourselves of it. What do you need to do if, or what do you do if you need to remember something at work? Maybe you write it down on a post-it note, or you have a to-do list on your phone. The students that I work with at camp like to make fun of me for a lot of things, um, but one of the things they like to make fun of me for is that I have a dumb phone. I don't have a smartphone. I've got a phone with a slide-out keyboard, um, and they're amazed that they still make phones like that. But one of the things that I do with my dumb phone is that I text my email reminders. So anytime I'm out of the office and I want to remember something, I'll text my email a reminder. How do you remind yourself of the gospel? Are you just reminded of it on Sundays, maybe Wednesdays when you go to church? Maybe you read your Bible in the morning and then you don't think about the gospel the rest of the day. David reminds himself and reminds us, forget not the benefits of the Lord. Remind yourself of the gospel all throughout the day. Maybe for you, you need to write down a gospel verse on a post-it note and put it somewhere that you'll see it every day. Maybe you need to write on your bathroom mirror or put something on your phone to remind yourself of the gospel. If you're super spiritual, you can get a Greek word tattooed on your forearm to remind yourself of the gospel. I'm just kidding, Joey. How... How do you remind yourself of the gospel? I don't have a great memory. Emily knows this. She knows that if she needs to remind me to do something, that I need to have a visual reminder of some sort. 
So if she asks me to take out the trash in the morning, she'll put a a post-it note on our door that says, take out the trash, smiley face. But if she asks me to do something and I want to demonstrate that I remembered, I'll do what she asked, right? My remembrance is demonstrated through my obedience. If she says, hey, remember to take out the trash before work and puts a sticky note on the door, I can't go to work and come home and say, Emily, great news, I remembered that you wanted me to take out the trash. I didn't do it, but I remembered that you wanted me to. No, that would be ridiculous. My inaction proves my forgetfulness. Or worse, it proves a blatant disregard for her. If I had looked at the trash and thought, Emily wants me to take this out, but I have no interest in doing what she wants. If I want to show my remembrance, I'm going to act on it. If she asks me to take out the trash and I remember, I'm going to take out the trash. A lack of obedience shows either forgetfulness or deliberate sinfulness. When we remember the benefits of the Lord, when we remember the gospel, our remembrance should lead to obedience. Our actions, our obedience will not earn God's love, but it will show our remembrance of God's love. Look again at verses 17 and 18. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Our remembrance of the gospel, our remembrance of the Lord's steadfast love should compel us to action. Our remembrance should lead to a life of worship and a life that brings glory to God. So what do you need to remember about the gospel this week? Is it that you've been forgiven of all your sins? Maybe there's one sin that you keep beating yourself up over again and again. Remind yourself that God has forgiven you of it and that he's removed it as far as the east is from the west. Do you need to remember that God's steadfast love for you will never change? Remind yourself that there's nothing you can do to earn God's love, and there's nothing that you can do as a believer that will make God stop loving you. Do you need to remember that your life on earth here is temporary? That compared to eternity, your life is like the grass? For me, this is something that I need to be constantly reminded of. I get so focused on my ministry or my family or my problems here on earth that I forget this truth. On my desk at home, I have uh, part of a poem framed above the desk by C.T. Studd. It says this, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It reminds me, as I'm sitting at my desk reading in the morning, that life is so short. It helps me remember that my life is like a flower that flourishes and is gone. My life will soon be passed. It reminds me to focus on what's truly important, And it reminds me of the beauty of the gospel. So may you remember the benefits of the Lord this week. Remember that he forgives iniquities. That he's merciful and gracious. That he's a God of steadfast love. Remember the benefits of the Lord. The beauty of the gospel. And then live a life changed because of it. Don't forget the gospel. Don't underestimate the gospel. Don't overestimate yourself and do something practical this week to remind yourself of the gospel every day. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for this psalm. I thank you that the gospel is so clearly shown over and over again. And Lord, that the gospel is always good news. I pray that this week you will help us to remember the truth in this psalm, the truth of the gospel, and then may our remembrance lead to obedience, that we can live a life that's changed because of the gospel. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word and to worship together. We give you all the glory. Amen.